New Testament reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The, sh- the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and known that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descents on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we, will, we, we are... <clears throat> And of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both the Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Morning, folks. Please do take a seat. 
And it would be great also if you could uh, grab a Bible, look back up to Acts uh, chapter 2. Again, maybe you've still got that open, so uh, just take it up again. Uh, That was on page uh, 910. And um, you'll see behind me um, a rather bold claim. That's not about this sermon that I'm about to deliver. Uh, That's about this sermon uh, that Peter did that was read so uh, brilliantly to us uh, by Bryn a moment ago. First off, though, I want to introduce you to Edward Lawrence. Here he is, just coming up on the screen here. He was a physicist working in the 1960s, and he built a computer which could model weather systems. But one day, he made a mistake. He had meant to put this bit of data into the computer, but he only put in the first four digits, which looked like this. And um, he, uh, he thought, just a really small error, just one in uh, a part in a thousand. It could not possibly change the results significantly. But being the thorough scientist he was, he decided to run the test again. And to his amazement, the computer came up with a totally different weather pattern. Edward Lawrence, he couldn't believe his eyes. He was kind of rubbing them as he looked at the screen. Uh, But he later explained, it was as if a tiny atmospheric disturbance in Peking, no greater than the beat of a butterfly's wing, should a week or so later give rise to a Force 12 hurricane in New York. Hence the name of his discovery, the butterfly effect. Now, this, of course, explains why our weather forecasters can't get it just so horribly wrong. But don't blame them. Blame it on the peaking, uh, the, the butterflies in Peking. It's not their fault. Yet it also explains why, as we turn back to the Acts of the Apostles, I think you could write over the top of this book... Uh, Please don't do this in the church Bibles. That would get me into terrible trouble. But I think you could write over the top of this book the subtitle, The Butterfly Effect. Not operating this time in meteorology, but in history. For the ripples of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection did not die away once he ascended to heaven. On the contrary, as this book shows, the effects of Jesus' Uh, uh, coming have only increased. So today we are going to see, well, we've heard it read, uh, the, the number of the followers, his, his followers go from a small gathering of about 120, okay? Just to get this, that's maybe just a slightly smaller number than, uh, than are in this room at this moment. From 120 to 3,000. 120 to 3,000. I mean, just imagine us trying to get that into the hall downstairs for, uh, for Belonging Course Week 2 next Sunday. That's a challenge that I'm laying out to Ben right now. But there's more to come. There's so much more to come in this book of Acts. As this book shows us the first 30 years of Jesus' ever-increasing tsunami-like influence after he returned to heaven. This butterfly effect in church history, transforming a tiny minor Jewish sect into by far, by far the largest and most diverse world faith today. It's incredible. And it wasn't down to any skill or strategy or program devised by this unimpressive gaggle of 120 Galileans. 
No, as we saw last week in Acts chapter 2, it was because God's spirit had come on them, accompanied by the most mind-blowing, miraculous signs. And that staggering event needs an explanation. And so, in verses 14 to 41, the apostle Peter stands up to give one. And he says, listen, what is happening today, what you're witnessing today, it's, um, it's also show you two crucial things. Here's the first one. We're living in a new era. Peter goes back 500 years to a prophet of God called Joel in the Old Testament. And as I read it out again now, I'm going to reread it. Look out especially for what he says about days. Let's dive in at verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, Peter grabs Joel, takes hold of him, in order to show us what time it is. He's first showing us a time difference. Because, Joel's, because between Joel's day and the days following the coming of the Spirit, the clock has moved on. We've entered a new era. It's like if um, you've ever gone on your holidays from Newcastle to Spain, or other holiday destinations are available, or you've flown here, actually, from Iran or Ukraine or South Africa or Hong Kong, wherever. What you do when you do that is you cross a time zone or two, don't you? Well, so too as you move from Joel in the Bible to Acts in the Bible. You cross a time zone. Not a change in the hour of the day, but a change in the role of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, in Joel's days, the Holy Spirit only came on a limited number of people, kings and judges, prophets, just a handful of individuals. And, and only then for a limited period of time until they had accomplished a task or fulfilled an office. But now, at the first Pentecost festival after Jesus' return to heaven, the Spirit has come down, not just on a few, but on all. And not just for a period, but to stay. This book is called the book of Acts. And in Acts, all believers act because all believers from sons to daughters, from young to old, from male servants to female servants, have the spirit of God at work in them. Sometimes I think people look at this quote from Joel and they kind of want to limit what still applies today. But surely we... We don't prophesy today. We, we, we don't see dreams and get visions today, do we? But the point of the Joel quote that Peter's using here isn't to limit what God does. No, it's to expand what God will do in the lives of every believer. Here's the point. If you're a Christian here today, you've been saved by the Son to be sent by the Spirit. He will fill you. 
He will speak to you so that you can speak his word to others freely and boldly. But Peter isn't just pointing out a time difference. He's also pointing out a time limit here. He goes on in Joel, uh, quoting Joel in verse 19, and, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only has the clock moved on, but the clock is also ticking down. This is Fergie time. We're in added time at the end of the game. And the final whistle will blow on the day of the Lord. The day when Jesus returns from heaven. That will be a great and magnificent day, Joel says, because that will be this world's last day. In the book of Joel, it is a day of judgment, a day not of the pouring out of God's spirit, but the pouring out of God's justice. It is a day when every single one of us will come face to face with our maker and our judge. And until that time, we are now in the last days, Joel tells us, empowered by the Spirit to prophesy about Jesus so that others too can, verse 21, call on the name of the Lord and be saved before it's too late. Do you believe that? Is this what dominates and drives your diary? Jesus' return, promised to us here. Oh, if it did, folks, it would totally change the way we live our lives, wouldn't it? I was calculating recently that I've been to almost 100 weddings now in my life. But there's one that stands out indelibly in my mind, mainly because of the... Uh, speech that the father of the bride gave. The groom's family were from top to bottom, not Christians. And so he stood up and he said words to this effect. He said, today Anne and Jim's marriage is a picture of the intimacy and love and relationship that God wants to have with each one of us. So let their union be a, a sign of the invitation that God has given you today. That the giver of life loves you so much that, that whoever you are, whatever you have done, however you've treated him, you are welcome to come back to him today. And then he said, I, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to join in and pray this prayer and make it your own, you're most welcome to, and that would be a wonderful thing. And so he prayed. Now that wedding day, like all wedding days, cost a lot of money. <laughs> And that father, there was no doubt, he, he loved his daughter with all, all his heart. But nevertheless, despite all of the, amidst all of the expense, amidst all of the emotion, amidst all of the friends and family that were gathered there, his diary and his checkbook were focused on the lessons of Acts 2. He saw himself living in the last days, and so he sought to make the most of that day. Church, do we know what time it is? 
The fact that there is a last day and that we are living in these last days means that we've got to make the most of every day. Tell people. Invite people. Make the most of try out church Sunday next week and ice cream Sunday this afternoon so that we encourage people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved before it's too late. I remember meeting a fellow uh, who was an atheist at a carol service at our old church across in Jesmond. Uh, he'd been dragged along by a friend to the evening, and when I tried to speak to him uh, about kind of the service and what he thought about Jesus, he got really prickly. But his friend persisted and, and managed to encourage him to keep coming back to church, and he eventually did a Christianity Explored course. And so I remember speaking to him over a year later, and, and just, just saying to him, how are you getting on? Um, you know, you, you, you got, I, I, know, I know you've had quite a few questions. Any questions you still got remaining unanswered? And, and he said to me, with tears almost welling up in his eyes, I think I've only really got one left, which is, how could God love me so much that he let his son die for me? I, I just can't get my head around that. It's amazing. It was amazing. It was an incredible moment. Uh, not because of anything I'd done or, or, or others in, in the church, but because God had poured out his spirit and opened his blind eyes to the wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. And what this passage is saying to us, brothers and sisters, is get alongside that. <laughs> because that, that is what God is doing in history. Because here's the issue. As a friend of mine says, failure is being successful at things that don't matter. Failure is being successful at things that don't matter. So don't waste your life. The Spirit has come. Now is the day of proclaiming Christ's name. And so Peter does just that, doesn't he? As secondly, he preaches an urgent message. He goes on in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I read an article recently about Katie Middleton and how she was bullied so badly at secondary school that her parents took her out after two terms. And as I read it, I wondered what those bullies would have thought when they saw her on her wedding day on the balcony at Buckingham Cat Palace, kissing her handsome prince. Maybe the last, the last they remembered her was Katie Middleton, flaky Pimpleton. Maybe the last they saw of her, they had her in tears. Perhaps they had told her that they wished that she was dead and that, her, that she would never amount to anything in her life. <laughs> well, how wrong they were. Those bullies watched her wedding on TV. They would realize that now, because 
of the prince that she was married to, in all likelihood, she would one day be their queen. (laughs) And I think that must have been a little of what it was like for the crowd to hear Peter preach at Pentecost. (laughs) And yet, Peter tells them that what they did to Jesus was a million times worse than what those bullies did to Katie Middleton. Acts 2, verse 23. This Jesus... You crucified and killed. Acts 2, verse 36. This Jesus, whom you crucified. What an accusation. And yet Peter is at pains to point out that they'd seen and heard of the miracles that Jesus did. So they knew that he he could only be from God. And yet they crucified him. And now God... (laughs) has reversed that decision and has raised him up from the dead and seated him in heaven on the throne of the universe and has declared to the world that Jesus is both Lord and Christ with the great and glorious day coming they have on their hands the blood of the great and glorious judge Peter says you crucified the Lord of glory There's a song I love that we sometimes sing here called How Great the Father's Love for Us. And it's about the cross of Jesus where he died. And there's this incredible line that says, it was my sin that held him there. That's true. My sins were being punished in Jesus' body on the cross. And so Peter's words are for you and for me too. Like many in the crowd that day, we may not actually have driven the nails into his hands and his feet and and even been there, but we all cry, crucify, crucify him in our unwillingness to acknowledge him and bow down and worship him for who he is, in our reluctance to trust what he says to us in his word and do the hard things and pick up our cross and follow him. And let him be the rightful Lord and Savior of our lives. I remember talking to a student a while back who said that God turning up would be inconvenient. She was only being honest, wasn't she? Because we all want to sideline and silence Jesus at one point or another in our lives. It was my sin that held him there. Peter has us in the dock and we are culpable. And yet here, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is also working in their hearts and they are convicted. Do you see? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter's words are like a knife straight through the chest. What have we done to Jesus? They cry out. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? the answer to that question is I mean what can we do shall we try and run away and and hide (laughs) but where can we hide God's really good at hide and seek he usually wins that one should we try to make it up up, up with God but how could we it's not as if we've just stolen some stationery from the office cupboard we've crucified the Lord of glory 
Yet unbelievably, Peter's answer is this in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's just staggering, isn't it? I find that staggering. Peter says that God wants to forgive the killers of his son, but not just forgive us, but give us a gift. Have you ever heard of a judge who has said, at the end of a trial, I know you're guilty, but I forgive you. More than that, have you ever heard of a judge whose son has been murdered by the person in the dock, and they said, I know you're guilty, but I forgive you. But can you imagine a judge whose son was murdered saying, I know you're guilty, but I forgive you and I want to give you a gift. And here is the gift. My daughter's hand in marriage. Welcome to the family. (laughs) And yet this is what God is saying to us here. God gives us one member of his family, his son. And we kill him. And what does he give us in return? The other member, his spirit. That's everything God has to give to us. How giving is God? It's amazing. And so Peter says to us, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent basically means to turn, to change your mind about Jesus, but more than that, turn from your sin, your old ways of living, before it's too late. He is... God's son. He is the king of the universe. So turn around, repent, and be baptized. I don't know if you've read the Gospels, but if you have, you might remember when Jesus was baptized, it was at the very start of his beginning, and there was almost in it this, this sense of him joining us. When Jesus was baptized, he stepped into our shoes, and from his baptism onwards, everything he did he did in our name and for our sake. Now Peter says, you get baptized. And when you get baptized, there's this sense of you joining him. So that everything you do from that moment on is in his name and for his sake. What an invitation. What a promise, folks. But who's it for? Surely it's for good people, religious people, Respectable people. No, no, says Peter. Verse 39, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I wonder if you think you're too sinful to be forgiven and given the Holy Spirit. I know there's some of us here who there's things that have happened to us or things that we've done in our life that we just... We just cannot get over. And so we hear something like this and we think, no, 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 no. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I'm too guilty for God to ever forgive me. Oh, please hear what Peter says here. He says, to you today, you can. And he does forgive you. He will forgive you if you call out on his name. This is for all who are far off. And it's for our children too. Do you see that? So if we've got children, 
here. <laughs> we, we sacrifice so much for our children. If you've, got, if you've got kids, you know that. Pour your life out for them. But remember, please remember what my friend said. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Could that be the case for us? How much of our time and our thought and our energy and our money are we giving to the incredible privilege and challenging of shepherd our children, shepherding our children's hearts and their lives with the gospel of Christ? What might we need to reorientate to focus our days on that before those days are gone? And then finally, this is for those of us who are near also. Maybe you've been coming to church all your life. You've been baptized even as a child or as an adult. But every week you go out the door and you just carry on living as if Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior. You need to repent. So just as Peter pleads with those at Pentecost in verse 40... I plead with you today, do not reject this offer. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Uh, this world, it, it's so broken, it's so twisted, it's, it's decaying, and so blind to the truth about Jesus. And yet God is offering you his son and his spirit freely and forever. You could go home today forgiven for every sin, past, present, future, and empowered to live life differently. You can't pass up the opportunity, can you? So I beg you, I plead with you to call on the name of the Lord and be saved and join Jesus. And once you have, rejoice. Rejoice in the grace of God. He has given us his son. He's poured out his spirit on us to the guilty and the undeserving. And so if he's given us his son and his spirit, what more will he withhold from us? Let's just stop. Now, take a moment to reflect on that and to pray it through uh, for ourselves. A moment of quiet in which to, to do that and then we'll pray and sing again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Oh, Father, we, we thank you that you give us your son and you have given us your spirit so we can trust that we are not alone in the mission that you've uh, called us to. You are with us and you are for us. So may we be men and women that reflect what you have done and where history is heading. Please enable us to so plan and live out our lives in such a way that actually causes Acts chapter 2 to be a reality to those around us. We ask that and not for our own vain glory, but for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in whose name we pray.